My name is Hanson Oak, and I want to tell you a story. Now I know I've been away and left you with short listener intermission episodes, but I couldn't resist telling you what just happened to me. You see, I've just arrived home, the sun is almost setting and I've yet to sleep since yesterday. Not so unusual for me, if I'm honest, but I wanted to tell you why. As I speak, my hands are covered with dirt. It's thick, dark, it smells like the earth, like my children in the summer, and like my dogs after an afternoon spent roaming in the forest and being chased by a breeze that carries pollen and promise. It smells like a warm day, feels granular, familiar, clings to the underside of my nails and the fabric of my clothes, and I meant to shower it all off and pretend I'm a member of polite society, even though I know I'm closer to the beast of the forest than the breast of humanity. But I couldn't resist sitting down for a moment, if just to say hello to you all and tell you of my night. When we are children, we are so unmoved when we become filthy when we wear the world on our skin, but we're also unaffected when we come face to face with new people and animals, and the creatures that pepper our nightmares as adults. Yesterday I went to a farm. Having the privilege of access to many different farms is a gift of my geographic location and where the roots of my home and family grow. As I pick through the end of the harvest of winter squash, some seasons end corn, greenhouse carrots, a dried flower bouquet tied with twine, I notice Peter Harris, the owner of the farm and caretaker of the land, staring out into his field. You see, he was a normally jovial man, a man who was quick to greet you, and with a passion for his work, his land, and the animals that both supported. But at that moment, he was solemnly looking over the rolling New England hills at the moving specks among them. They were the cattle he raised, both for milk and meat, roaming freely and happily over the fields. And while I enjoy watching animals move through the world, something in the field caught my attention. They were green. Their grass was thriving and healthy, an emerald carpet stretched over granite bones. For those of you in the Southern Hemisphere otherwise unfamiliar with the seasons that govern New England, we're currently under the rule of the Borja, the devouring one who presents us with winter. But looking out over the fields, it was easy to believe it was late spring instead of early fall, when the lush greenery was awoken from the cold season and gorged itself on sunlight and spring rains. With the thriving pasture in front of me, it was easy to overlook the fact that I was wearing a coat and my breath was turning to clouds as I stood beside Peter and commented on how late it was into the year for the cows to be grazing fresh growth. He grunted and said fewer and fewer of them were doing so. When I asked why, what happened to the cattle who looked so content on the distance, he in turn insisted his problems not burden me, but he floated the hook of curiosity and it was a bait I cannot resist biting. I asked if something was wrong with the herd if they were sick, and he said many of them were never healthier. They were bigger and more active than they'd ever been since they had fresh grasses this late into the season, when normally he'd begin to rely on the stock of hay he'd stored in the barns. He told me they were ravenous for it, hungrier than he'd ever seen, refusing to return to the barn at the end of the day and eating constantly even throughout the night. 
then there was the problem with them exploding just before morning. Like overfilled balloons, he said. Pop. I found this delightfully troubling. I was now hooked, the mystery and menace of his words setting butterflies to flight in my stomach. I took out my cell phone, called my wife, and let her know that I would not be returning tonight, that I would be camping with some cows. Peter thanked me, told me to join his family for dinner before I set out to the greet his herd, and I gratefully did so. I wandered out into the fields at sunset with a full belly and a thick quilt Gwen Harris had gifted me to divide my skin from the winter air. Moving through the field, pushing into the high grass, I had the sensation that I can see the grass growing, the leaves stretching upward becoming thick and lush. What should have been dormant and yellowed pasture was more active than it should have been in any season. The cows hardly acknowledged my approach, lifting their heads only slightly with a grunt before returning to their endless buffet. When I was close enough to really examine them, what I saw was startling. Now, all cows are large, much bigger than those who haven't stood beside one might imagine them to be. But these cows were immense. Their skins seemed to be stretched, expanded, any healthy sign of protruding bone through the hip or shoulder was missing completely. Any definition through the chest and waist were absent, but it was their eyes that haunted me. I find being in the presence of most animals to be calming. A cow or horse, when acclimated to and trusting your presence, is at peace with its place in the world and it's a peace you can feel and share in. The look in their eyes is relaxed as it goes about its business, but the look in the eyes of the animals around me then were panicked and fearful. They quickly, taking in as much to their mouth as they could, only chewing enough to make room for more grass before filling any empty space with a fresh bite. There was no joy or elation in their actions. It was panic, fear, and absolute desperation. I walked to a backhoe parked just under a tree outside of where the cows had gathered. I climbed into the seat, a bit wet with recent rain and evening dew, and I plucked a piece of grass and rubbed it between my fingers. Its fibers were strong, resilient, and resisted my attempt to crush it. I lifted it to my nose and smelled it, finding its scent beautiful, being both floral and earthy with a hint of lemongrass and perhaps a touch of sage. I then ripped the leaf in two and ran both pieces over my tongue. The fluid it bled was slightly sweet but mostly sour and it made my lips tingle. I spit it out, suspicious. This was another reason the grass was not as it should have been. The day pulled the night over the skies, I pulled the quilt over my shoulders. The chill turned my cheeks raw, my toes cold. The crickets began to sing to the stars even as clouds took their place to block them. The cows continued to graze. One had moved closer to the backhoe, biting, chewing, gasping, groaning, this one larger than the rest. My eyelids were growing heavy, and sleep lured me away from my task before I knew it. Then there was a, a bang, a pop, a, a wet explosion that woke me with the sound and the feeling of being hit with a hose full of hot pulp. When I opened my eyes, I saw that the grass where I'd last seen the cow was black. The inkiness splattered to other parts of the field. I ran my hand across my face and saw it was covered with the same thing. I smelled my fingers and a soft piece of something that clung to it, and knew instantly that it was blood. As Peter had informed me earlier, though my belief in what he said was not nearly as firm as it was in the moment then, the cow had exploded. 
I climb down from the seat of the backhoe and walk through the grass. The warmth of the blood and meat of the bovine was cooling in the night, and the chill was finding me once more. I reached into my pocket and pulled out a light pen. Turning it on and shining it into the shadows, the black marking of where the cow had been was revealed to be a deep, bright red. As I looked deeper into the grass toward the root, I noticed the soil was heaving slowly, like a heartbeat. Then, from underneath what was left of the cow, a large piece of muscle and skin, the earth opened, and what looked like a large octopus beak devoured it before disappearing once more beneath the soil. I ran to the backhoe and climbed on, grasping for the key, pulling the choke, calling the sleeping beast to life with a cough of smoke and an intoxicating smell of diesel. I pulled the knob of the front lights and they burned to life, showing the grass rise and fall in the field ahead of me, going to where the front of the cow had landed. I pulled the backhoe into gear and lurched forward. Now, I just want to step back for a second here to explain why I was so excited to see this. You see, a few years ago, I spent the night in the home of a Romanian shepherd. A storm had chased me to find shelter, and she was good enough to offer it to me. As the rains and winds raged outside, I asked her if the sheep would be okay, if they'd been put away or had found a safe place to sit and wait out the storm. She told me that her herd was dead. She said that the philact had taken them. She described them like grubs, larger than a man that traveled with the herd. Their waste enriched the soil and swelled the grasses and the sheep until they simply popped. Then the philact would feed on the meat and blood. Once the herd was gone, the philact would go dormant to avoid starvation. If they didn't burrow deep enough, a good freeze in the winter would kill them. But they'd always come back, always find the new flocks. But they took a long time to grow to maturity, so there could be decades where they weren't a bother. But that was the only time I'd ever heard of such strange creatures, and I'd never witnessed them until last night when I was slowly chasing one down on a wet, rusted backhoe. I parked the tractor just as the ground before me heaved up and the giant beak broke the surface once more. It snapped into the large bit of fresh corpse, ripping the flesh and snapping the bone. I moved to the back seat, the one facing the levers that control the backhoe. My hands were uncertain, you see, it's been years since I'd piloted one of these things, but I managed to put the stabilizer's legs in place and lifted the narrow, heavy tooth bucket into the air. I tried to aim it into the center of the cow corpse being devoured in grotesque, crushing bites, like I was manning a murderous claw game in a bastardized arcade. I pulled the lever, and with a grunt and jerk, the bucket went down through the meaty mess and soaked earth. I heard a screech as the hydraulics eased the arm through the flesh below the surface. I pulled another lever, calling the bucket back, clawing into the soft, heavy flesh. I raised it and pulled a giant from the earth. It was easily the same mass as the cow it was feeding on, but I'd only uncovered half of it. I'd split the monster in two, its soft white flesh ragged and jagged and dangling from the bucket, still squirming. The stench was sulfur and suffering, bleach and blood. It had no eyes, tiny limbs lining its body that dug and pulled it under the soil, but that was it. I heard another pop in the distance, looked up and seeing pieces of another cow sorting themselves out through the air. I knew it was going to be a busy night. I dropped the philoct and moved forward with the pace of a man allergic to urgency, pushing the backhoe up the hill as it vomited a black steam of smoke. For the rest of the night I ripped, 
tore, split, and dug up the remaining filak. I placed a dozen of them into as high a pile as the arm of my mechanical partner could attend them. In the morning, Peter Harris emerged from his home to find his fields wilted, faded, dormant, and still, as they were supposed to be. The vibrance was gone along with the infestation. I sat wrapped in the quilt, parked beside the mountain of dead phylox. I shivered in the morning air, covered in blood and mud. I offered to help him fill in the holes I'd made and bury what was left of his herd, but he would have none of it, instead giving me coffee and a heartfelt thanks. And that's where we are now. The filth of last night still clings to me. My dogs are endlessly curious with the stench I also carry. With that, I am off to shower and open the mail and the packages that arrive today to see where I'll be going next. I'm sure I'll have another story to tell soon. Did you enjoy this tale? Who? Me? Who are you talking to? No, the listener. What are you talking to them for? The story's done. They've gone on, haven't they? Well, maybe not. Maybe they'll listen to us little grivels for a bit. Mr. Oak ain't the only one with a story to share. I have things to say. What things? Like maybe if they enjoyed themselves, they should subscribe or follow or leave a review. Don't be telling them what to do. I'm not. It's not polite ordering those poor folks to do things, especially since they ain't here for you. They came for Mr. Oak, didn't they? Well, how do you know they ain't come for us? Because they don't even know who we are. All I'm saying is it's good manners to subscribe or follow or leave a review, isn't it? Is this recording? Did you hit the button? I thought you hit the button. Oh dear, Mr. Oak won't be happy.